Well, we're talking about what it means to be real with God. More than religious, more than a do-gooder. But our relationship is legitimate. How about that? Legitimate with God. You know, it's important that we are real with God for a few reasons. Number one, I believe we're living in the end times. The end times of biblical history. That would make it the end times of human history. Secondly, that there are people in the world that they are in need of a savior. (laughs) There are more people that are not saved than saved. So they need us as Christians to be real with God. Thirdly, We don't know how many days we have left, personally, upon this earth. We don't know. Could be one, could be a hundred, could be a thousand. We don't know. So we want to make our life count. Last time we were together, we noted that there's no prize for second place. And we ended with these thoughts. Get into the lives of other people. Remember Paul said, I become all things to all men. Get into other people's lives. Talk to them about what interests them. Live for the gospel. Run to win. Exercise (laughs) self-control. Live with certainty. In other words, let your life be intentional. Live on purpose. And then discipline your heart and your body. Because the Bible tells us in Philippians 2.16 that we're holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will not have reason or I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. In other words, I didn't waste my life. My wife, my life wasn't just empty at the end of it all. Okay? It meant something. And don't you want your life to mean something? I do and I know you do too. But there are disciplines that we have to follow in order for that to happen. And that's why we're giving those. Okay? So we're going to move on to another another aspect of what it means to be real with God. Let's start off with a story about a farmer. He had a beautiful parrot. But the parrot, uh, he got bored and tired of staying in his cage all day. He'd often look out the window and see flocks of birds soaring through the air. He thought, I'd like to be able to do that one day. You know, very soon the opportunity came. The cage was left unsecured, and he made his move and flew out the window. He joined the the flock of crows, and the crows settled down in the farmer's cornfield, and they began to eat the corn. When the farmer heard the ruckus, he ran out with a shotgun, fired a shot as the crows flew away. He went out to inspect his kill, and there lay his parrot, badly wounded, He said to his parrot, What happened to you? And the parrot replied, Bad company. Bad company. And you see, this is another way to get real with God. Choose the crowd that you run with. Today we're going to look at that principle of bad company. And it's biblical. Because in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul said, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
Bad company makes good people bad. Think about that. We're going to take a look at our example in Numbers chapter 16. We're going to rewind back to the Old Testament. And we have a very sad and real account of our principle today. And the saying is true. Birds of a feather flock together. And if you want to fly with the eagles, you can't run with the turkeys. Okay, so let's take a look. Moses, he had been a faithful leader of the people following the exodus out of Egypt. And as usual, there were some grumblers along the way. Did you ever notice that? There's always grumblers in the crowd. And are any of you grumblers that are listening today? Raise your hand if you're a grumbler. Okay. Well, in verse 1, now Korah, the son of Ishar, and then it goes on to give a little family tree, he took action. And Korah was a Levite who assisted in the daily functions of the tabernacle. Now, that's a good job. But they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. In other words, Korah got 250 influential people, and they went up to Moses. And in verse 3, they assembled together against Moses and Aaron. And they said to them, you've gone far enough. For all the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? See, Korah and the others had a threefold complaint. Number one, Moses, everybody's holy, not just you. Number two, Moses, you usurped authority to be the leader of the Israelites. And number three, why was Aaron made priest? How come he's, who said he can be high priest? Now, Moses would have agreed that all God's people are holy, but God does choose his leaders. And Moses fell on his face before God, and he told Korah that the next morning God would decide who should lead the Israelites. And then he, he, he reminds them, hey, that they should be honored to serve in the position that God had given them. These guys worked in the tabernacle. That's a great position. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation and to minister to them? And that he has brought you near, Korah, and all your brothers, sons of Levi, with you? And are you still seeking for the priesthood also? Moses is trying to get him to see God has given them a very elevated position. And you know what? Be satisfied where God has placed you. And that's a good lesson for us. Be satisfied where God has placed you. In verse 11, Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who was he that you grumble against him? In other words, what? Why are you coming after Aaron? God made him priest. Aaron didn't make himself priest. God chose him to be priest. And then Moses sent a summons, verse 12, to Dathan and Abiram, 
the sons of Eliab, to come. And you know what they said? We ain't coming. We will not come up. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, danger, danger. When they say we will not, there's a rebellion on the scene. Here comes the conspiracy. The conspiracy is, you know what? They're all thinking about themselves. That's what a conspiracy is. It's to plan and act on secretly for an unlawful purpose. And it's when you put yourself out front. Conspiring people make it about themselves. And that's what these people are doing. They're not making it about the will of God and the calling of God and the authority of God. They're making it about themselves. So there's an admonition here. Sometimes you got to step out and think for yourself and don't follow the crowd that's on that road to destruction. Because we got 250 people, I'll tell you what, they're going to be in for a big surprise. In verse 13, is it not enough that you've brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey? These, these people, they're so dissatisfied. They're saying, wait a minute, you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey. Egypt? Where we were taskmasters? Yeah, it flowed with, with milk and honey, but not for them. They were slaves. Isn't it enough you you brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness, but you would lord over us, you would lord it over us as well? Is that indeed? You haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You, you said God is going to bring us to a land of milk and honey. Well, where's the milk? And where's the honey? I don't see any milk and honey. You haven't even given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. So all they are is complaining because we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We don't like the way it's going, and we don't like you. So we're not coming up. We're not coming up, Moses. Here it comes to discuss, to dialogue, to talk about what we're feeling. See, when things shut down like that, it's over. You always want to be mature enough to reason, to converse, to dialogue. That's maturity. If you can do that, you're a mature person. But if you shut down, take your ball and go home, that's immaturity. That's where these guys were. So Moses told Korah that he and all of his malcontent buddies they were to show up the next morning at the tabernacle. So Korah showed up the next day with 250 of Israel's leaders. Man, how contagious is corruption, huh? So God said to Moses and Aaron, get away from them. I'm going to consume them. (laughs) You know, sometimes God is like, that's it. I've had enough of these people. But you know the grace of Moses? Moses and Aaron fell on their faces and they said, Oh God, will you destroy all the people on account of one man? Wow. So God said to Moses, See, Moses didn't say, Yeah, Lord, man, get them all. He said, No, there's only one guy responsible for all this. Don't punish the others. So God said, Okay, tell the people to get back and stay away from Korah and Datham and Abiram. Okay, and then Korah, Datham, and Abiram, they came out, they stood at the door of their tents with their wives and their children 
and their little ones. And in verse 28, we're in number 16, Moses said, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. And he said, If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. In other words, if nothing happens to them and they die a natural death of old age, then God didn't pick me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing and the ground opens up his mouth and swallows them up with all that is theirs and they descend alive into Sheol, that's the grave, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. In verse 31, as he finished speaking all these words, you know what happened? The ground that was under them split open. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. You know how sad that was? Other people suffered because of the malcontent of one. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, the grave, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. What are we saying today? Bad company corrupts good morals. We've got to be very choosy of the people we run with. Be discerning. I know in my youth, I ran with some kids that they were troublemakers, and I ended up making trouble with them. And I look back on my life, and I'm going, I'm pretty convicted. Why did I do that? And then there were times I, I ran most of the time, thankfully, with good kids, and we did good things. You know, we played baseball and football and made music and all kinds of good, healthy stuff. But there's always that percentage of people that's just, they just want to do bad. We've got to be careful. Avoid them at all costs. Because you see, now, these people were Israelites, right? But they were not real with God. It was all about themselves. Whoa, think about it. You're either real with God or you're all about yourself. Which one is it? And I've seen that in modern day Christianity where Christians have said, yeah, man, we're serious about God, but really they've made it about themselves and they've done things to promote themselves and it was ungodly and it wasn't right. And it goes on all the time. But this is what happens when you put your business over God's business. See, these people, Korah, Datham, Abiram, they had assigned roles to fill in the kingdom. And they were very high roles, influential roles. But when one person becomes disgruntled, that person spreads it to others. And that's what happens. We call that these days a conspiracy. A con that was a conspiracy against Moses. How many people can we get together to go against Moses? And that goes on in churches. How many people can we get together to go against the church leadership? And it happens. And why does that happen? Because people put themselves above God's will. So let's make an application to this, because this is really important. This could save your walk with God. This could save your church. This could save, you know, this is godly advice coming from number 16. Number one, 
Don't let your desire for what someone else has make you discontented with what you already have. Whatever position God has you in, be contented there. Don't be jealous of another position. God will raise you up. Doesn't the Bible say God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? Humility is the pathway to promotion. And if if we're good at where we are, then God will elevate us to something greater. Faithful in the little things, a ruler in the greater things. So that's number one. Number two, don't try to raise your self-esteem by attacking someone else's. That's so true. It's like there are two things that are bad for the heart. Running upstairs and running down people. You don't want to do that. And you never want to make yourself look good by trying to make other people look bad. That's not godly, right? You never want to make somebody look bad, degrading them, humiliating them. That's not the way of God. Thirdly, don't use God's word to support what you want rather than allowing its entirety to shape your wants. Our wants shouldn't come from our flesh. They should be directed by the word of God. Let God in his word direct our steps. His His word is a lamp to our feet, right? A light to our path. So we let the authority of the scriptures be our guide. So important. Number four, don't expect to find satisfaction and power and position. God may very well want to work through you in the position that you are now in. So don't always try to elevate yourself. And You know, I, I, I might be repeating myself, but, oh, it's so important. Lucifer get in trouble, didn't he? Remember that guy, Lucifer? The cherub, the god of the throne of God? He said, hey, I'm going to raise up my throne above the stars of God. I can be like him. And he allowed his ego and his pride to try to usurp the authority of God. How did that go for him? Not too well. So we never want to usurp God's authority, whether it's through God's word, whether it's through God's leadership. We want to stay humble. We want to stay teachable. We want to be in a place where God is the one that does the promoting, okay? He'll use you right where you are. And when you get good at where you are, he'll raise you up to another level. Number five, think for yourself. Don't be brought down by the rebellion of others. It's easy. You know, it's like laughter is contagious, right? Well, so is discontentment. Somebody can sow seeds of discontentment and you start thinking, yeah, you're right. Hey, Lucifer did it with one-third of the angels. Imagine, one-third of those angels saw God, worshipped God, served God, they were with God, and yet the malcontentedness of Lucifer affected them, and they all turned against God himself. They failed in who they listened to. Bad company corrupts good morals. Think for yourself. Don't be brought down by the rebellion of others. Okay? So important. If you get the word of God in your heart, 
That's what you think with. You think with God's word. Let me give you a scriptural application. First Peter chapter four, verse one. See, I like these studies because they're very biblically based. That's the key here. What does the Bible say and how do we apply it? So first Peter four, one. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, right? Speaks of his crucifixion, his beatings, his arrest. Peter said, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Peter is saying, listen, you got to live the rest of your life for the will of God, for God's will. And he said, for the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality. In other words, that's your old life. And a course of lust and drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. That's your past life before you found Christ. He said, in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. Dissipation means wastefulness. So he's saying, when you became a new creation in Christ, and all your old friends started mocking you because you don't run with them anymore, like, oh, you're no fun. You used to go out with us. You used to drink with us. You used to do all kinds of things with us. And now, now you're just a deadhead. And they malign you. But that's bad company. He said, you know what? They will give an account to him who was ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give an account. The mockers of today will be the recipients of God's judgment tomorrow. So we don't idolize the mockers. We don't hold them up as heroes. As a matter of fact, we're not even going to be influenced by them. Don't put yourself under any peer pressure from the mockers, because that's bad company, and that corrupts good morals. So ask yourself, what will I do from here on in? I know in the Christian life, you know, a lot of people, things change. When you get saved many times, and you can probably agree with this, I know it happened to me, um, a lot of your friends change. Little by little, the old friends kind of fall away. And But you develop new friends in the body of Christ. And why do the old friends fall away? Because they're living in a different world. We have come out of that world. And we live in a different world. And we are actually, as Paul said, a new creation. Think about it. You're a new creation. I mean, if you were a dog and you ate Alpo, if they still make Alpo dog food anymore, but then something came along. The princess came and kissed you on the nose. And now you became a prince. And you don't eat Alpo anymore. Why? Because you're a new creation. That's why your old appetite is gone. Your old diet is gone. Everything about the old life, it's gone. The old forms of satisfaction, 
gone. Old things have passed away. New things have come. And that's why the company that we keep, oh, it is so important. And you know, it's probably better to keep no company than bad company. What do you think? What do you think about that? Bad company will have a negative influence. No company will have no influence. So better to be alone than to be among the mockers, among the Korahs and the Dathans and the Abiathas, because all they do is conspire for their own will. And the human will that comes from the sin nature always leads to destruction. No doubt about it. We're not saying, well, you know, sometimes it's going to end up good. No, it never ends up good. If you want a perfect will, then it's got to be God's will. Because His will, well, it never leads us astray. It never does. It always says, go this way. This is where you find life. This is where you find acceptance. This is where you find fullness and purpose. And isn't that what everybody's looking for? I think so. Most people, anyway. We're looking for purpose. And we're looking for fullness and contentment. It's all part of that as well. So I think, you know, it's a nice practical lesson. Put Christ first. Put Christ first in all things. Choosing your friends, choosing your activities, choosing how you spend your time, how you spend your money, everything that has to do with your life. Put Christ first from now on in a way like you never have before. You know, that's why we're talking about getting real with God. This is about being real, not being, you know, pseudo-religious. I say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, no. Saying you're a Christian doesn't give evidence that you're a Christian. Following Christ, living the Christ life, that's what gives evidence that you're a Christian. It's in our choices. It's in our way of life. It's in our conversations. It's in our vocabulary. It's every aspect of our life. We need to hone it. We need to shape it. And the closer you stick with Jesus, the more that change is going to take place. So, good company. Get good company, like the disciples. What do they say about the disciples? These guys are uneducated men, but look how wise they are. Why is that? Oh, they spent time with Jesus. That's why they were so bold and they were so wise.